What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Today, I am broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee, and my very special guest is one of the greatest musicians in the world, and certainly one of the greatest musicians I've ever played with. And she's coming to us from Las Vegas, Nevada. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the cellist extraordinaire, Tina Guo. Thank you for being here. Hi. Oh, wow. What an intro. Thank you so much. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks. You know, we were just talking about like five years ago. It, it seems like it was two days ago and, and the world was a different place. But five years ago, you and I were at Carnegie Hall almost to the day of this interview. And, and it's amazing how time has stood still and how it's flown by. I mean, who, who would have thought, you know, it's, it's, I, it's I know it's it's insane. I, I remember uh, we were all walking out the back door after the last show and it started. Do you remember it started snowing? Mm -hmm. And little did we know that was going to be the apocalyptic blizzard that yeah. left us all stranded for many days. <laughs> I think everybody was stuck for four days and, and it was like, it started to snow during the second show. And, oh, and they were telling us it's coming, it's coming, but we just, we played it anyway. And that, that show ended up being most of the DVD we recorded both nights. And I just remember the look on my manager's face when he was faced with the New York City hotel bill for <laughs> for the extra four days and like 800 different flight changes and charges and you because we had the whole crew stuck there and it was it was it, it was you know honestly I wouldn't change a damn thing because it was fun and it was a story of a lifetime plus we got to play Carnegie Hall exactly it would be I, I would love that kind of problem now especially after you know being retired uh, temporarily for for a bit. <laughs> well, that's what that's what that's people always ask me. They're like they're like so so. What are you doing? I go. I'm semi-retired. What do you think I'm doing? I'm, I'm here in my house. You know, trying to get all the clocks to to be on the same time. You know, like and then once you do that, like so. What you know, you're you know. I would categorize you as someone who loves to be on the road. You're constantly traveling, playing with different performers, orchestras, and you know. It must have been a brick wall like it was for me when this thing stopped last March. Okay, I'm going to be completely honest here. So, yes, I not nearly as much as you, of course, but I was touring a lot. I think in 2019, I was on the road for about eight months out of the year, uh, flying back and forth. And uh, Okay, like secretly, I think I was almost like a little bit relieved. Not relieved because of COVID. It's been terrible, but it, it was actually, I, I just felt... A little stressed out from doing so many because it was a lot of different projects so it wasn't like one tour where you play the same material or you know a couple different sets I mean it was all for different things a lot of like you know one week here and then two weeks there and it's all completely different music um, and I have a tendency to overbook myself I think because I get really passionate and really excited about basically everything um, <laughs> which is both good and bad uh, so I just want to do everything I'm like yes I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it and then I look at my calendar and I'm like what the what have I done to myself? So actually say, when COVID... This is a, a non-family show. You can say, what the fuck have I done to myself? Oh, you know? yes. What the fuck have I done to myself? And I was actually getting a little stressed out, you know? Um, and so when it all happened, this is terrible, but I, I and things started getting canceled, I just felt <laughs> a little bit of a weight lifted, not because it's canceled forever, because, you know, it's rescheduled. It'll happen eventually. I think knowing that it'll still happen in the future... I felt like, oh my God, this is like a gift from the universe to just give me a little bit of a break. You know, right. I, I I do feel like, um, not to get too deeper, you know, uh, 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 I can't even talk about uh, philosophical right now, but I just did feel like I kind of became a bit of a machine where like my entire being and my entire identity was just music, tour, perform, perform, perform. And I'm like, who, who am I, you know, outside of that? So um, it was actually, it's been, it's been nice. I mean, yeah, I, I joke that I'm, you know, retired from performing, of course, but I have been doing other recording work for soundtrack projects and whatnot, spending a lot of time at home, um, getting in touch with my domestic, <laughs> female right. domestic side, you know, taking care of the dogs. Uh, so it's actually been, it's actually been nice. Am I allowed to say that? Does that make me a terrible person? That's exactly the same answer I've given because it used to be like oh. in 2019 or 18. I'd be like, I have, I have a great, I have a great house in in Laurel Canyon. I hear it's nice. I'm never there. And and it's the exact same answer because you you have to be able to disassociate why we're off and 
being off. Why right. is a horrible thing. You know, yeah. it's a, a worldwide pandemic. Nobody ever could have expected something like this to come mm -hmm. down the pike. Maybe Bill Gates. He was, well, I don't know. But um, I told people, it's like, listen, this is the year off or more, two years off, that I never would have taken on my own because I had to go, 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 go. And you're addicted to go, 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 go. And you don't know how to stop the train once it's moving. You don't know how right. to jump. And exactly. And it's an it's a really, really interesting paradigm shift for people like us who overbook, overwork. And now you're faced with things like going, you know, I need to get some more of those Nespresso coffee pods. And are you I, like making fun of me or did you did you see my post? No, I did not. I, I actually, oh, oh. I'm not making fun of you. I actually today went into the to, to the to the pantry and said, you know what I got to do? This is uh, other than interviewing the great Tina Guo. I got to figure out how to get more Nespresso pods here because I don't know how to do that. And B, I used to steal them from the hotels. That's how I used to get yes. the coffee. Yes, me too. Uh, did you know there's a deal right now where if you spend, it's a lot, but if you spend $200 on Nespresso pods, you get four free coasters. They have music tips. Um, and then, you know, so if you go to this now, it sounds like a commercial, but I just did it. So, and I posted about it. People are like, you're insane. You drink so much coffee. I'm like, yes, it's, it's great. I have two machines next to each other, big one and a small one. Nice. Nice. Yes. Do you know, like this is a pro tip. Do you know how to program the pores where you hold the button down and then it, it no. goes the button down. So then every time if you want to pull up pro tips. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good pro tip. Okay. I'll, I'll definitely experiment with that. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is um, being a performer and having to wear so many different hats. Um, like, you know, I mean, just going down the, the, the list of artists that you've collaborated with, Hans Zimmer, Stevie Wonder, Il Devo, Michael McDonald, Foo Fighters. And <laughs> you just, you're wearing so many hats. How do you, car uh, you put them in the, I, there's a word and I, it's, I'm blanking on it, but the, how do you keep them all in their, in their, in their lane and service the music? Um, heavy, heavy drug use. No, right. I'm kidding. Um, um, <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I, I am self-managed, which might be a little bit insane, uh, but I literally do everything myself. I finally, it's very difficult for me because I feel like I'm a bit of a control freak. Um, and just wanting, I just want things to be done a certain way. And right. I've operated like this for so long, but again, one of the many things that have um, happened where I've done a lot of self-reflection during this last year um, is realizing I really need to learn to let go just a little bit. So right. I'm very proud of myself that I just got a new assistant as of two weeks ago. And I actually let him uh, do some post office <laughs> errands, which I used to do everything myself. I mean, literally like packing the merchandise store orders, going to the post office. I mean, just too much to the point where, of course, I'm losing my mind, you know, because I'm trying to do everything. Um, but as far as like, you know, working with a lot of different people, I think uh, in a purely logistical manner, uh, being a huge fan of spreadsheets, I always joke that I'm like, exactly half split down the middle you know as a human being i'm like half passionate you know wild artist whatever all that all that not whatever i mean just that side and then the other half of me it's like the complete 180 where i'm a robot i really am like a chinese uh, robot so <laughs> i'm like uh, uh, my entire life is like calendared spreadsheets like it just makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside you know i think so i think just being organized does help right. you know with like scheduling stuff um i can't even remember your original question i don't know how i started talking about spreadsheets i'm talking about <laughs> in the sense that okay because you you, you like me we, we had these conversations you yeah. like me we we tend to put everything in a, in a lane and in, in my mind like if something is out of order even in the most pedantic pedestrian way like like something is out of order in the house but yet i have to go be creative or something else i can't it literally it takes a lot for me to leave a place untidy or non-ocd and go do this because it's yeah. constantly in the mindset like when you're playing with you know han zimmer right, okay, right. I, it's a very very challenging gig i can imagine and stuff like that but does your mind ever wander because you have the two sides of Tina Guo. You're like, I got this gig, I've done this gig. And, <laughs> and, then, and then like me, sometimes I'm up there and I'm like, well, I don't even know what I want for lunch tomorrow. Let me think about that. And then the song, it goes by and I'm like, oh shit, 
you know, like that's uh, a like okay. On occasion, of course, that's happened, especially if I'm like super hungry because I'm trying to look skinny on stage, so I haven't eaten, you know, all, all all day before the show, and I'm thinking, I wonder what you know catering has for us after the show. But um, in all seriousness, most of the time, why I love and I do miss performing specifically um, mm -hmm. is because that I feel like that's the only time, which is not healthy. So I'm also working on meditation now, but it's the only time when I can be completely free from my thoughts. Like if I'm really in a moment, um, like when we toured together, like when, when it got to like, you know, the crazy stuff back and forth, you don't right. even have like the, there's no mental space or energetic space to think about anything else. Right. And when you're in, I believe people call it the flow. So mm -hmm. when I really can get into the flow and you're just purely in that moment of right this moment and everyone in the audience, like you're all, everyone's enraptured in the same like energy and you're vibrating at the same time. That is, um, that's when I'm free from my mind. I'm out of, outside of my mind and I'm just in, I don't know what it is, my body, my what, whatever, whatever's happening. I don't even know how to explain it, you know? You, you transform into someone else. Like, like mm -hmm. I, I walk down the street and I and, and people go, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a blues guitar player. I'm like, oh, isn't that great? Like, good for you, kiddo. <laughs> so Keep it up. Do, do you play with anybody famous? I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, well, have you put out any records? I, go, I have more number one records, you know, on the Billboard Blues chart in the history of the charts. And they're like, no, you don't. Look at you. Look at you. And I said, no, no, no. I mean, like when I get on stage, it's a character and it's a different person. And right. it's like, do you have any priest show rituals to get into that 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 persona? Because because it's a very, very different persona than just us hanging out, you know, here virtually or, you know, in person. And right. but then when you turn the switch, look out. Yeah. How does that how, how does that process work? Um, I, you know, I think all of us, maybe some people more than others, but we have, no matter how advanced we get intellectual, high tech, whatnot, uh, but deep down inside, we are just primal animals, you know, that's, that's, and I think for me, um, I, I live so much of my day-to-day -day life, uh, you know, normally as very, very much in my head, um, and just, you know, in, in, in preoccupied with like, modern day living or whatever but again when it comes to the music and where where I, I feel like I become a channel for emotion that's what it is you know aside from all the technical stuff like once you your body is trained to become um the machine that you can actually use to express something I think for me that's when the real music or the real art in, in my opinion um can come through and so uh as far as like actual rituals uh <laughs> I, I i do feel like there is something very uh not quite evil i mean evil's a little <laughs> extreme i don't think evil's right like darkness darkness um i mean that this would be a very very we're not going to go down that freudian whatever but you know all of our experiences negative things um and i think it's for me it's you know bottled in there because you can't express it you know in the real world or you might end up in jail or, or some other stuff. So you kind of like compartmentalize everything like I do. And then I'm like, okay, so how do I take out all of like that emotion, whatever positive and negative stuff, you know, like rage, anguish, you know, sorrow, all of that stuff that we can't really express because it's it'd be embarrassing to do that in real life and abnormal. Um, and I put it there and I'm like, okay, when I perform, when I play music, that's, that's a safe outlet for it. Um, and then as, as far as physically what I do, I do, I don't know, I don't think you ever, because uh, like we all had separate dressing rooms, but I, I do this weird, um, I think the best description for it would be like a bear growling noise. It's a kind of like a tribal, <laughs> I, I, I don't know where it came from, even when I play classical music, which is really weird, but it's like, usually the heavier the music is. So when I'm doing like metal or whatnot, like the more aggressive I become, you know, it's almost like I'm like uh, separating myself from, from robot Tina and then like kind of getting more and more in touch with the, uh, I don't, you know, the wild woman, you know, yeah, inside. It's a yeah. guttural thing. Music yeah. is a, a, in its most in stripped down form. It's, it's raw emotion if it's done correctly. And, yeah. and, and that's the one thing that people always ask me and, and there, there's that, now famous video of of um of you and i at carnegie hall and i'm doing one of my old acoustic songs woke up dreaming and because of the 
bloody flight of the bumblebee and how I understood <laughs> the syncopation required to do that. We've risen the tempo of, of a, a very fast song. Right, it, right. It's a great moment on the DVD, but what you don't see behind my sunglasses is sheer terror. Oh my God! And I tell people, I go, you have no idea, okay? The the fear that woman instills in you when she stares you down and go, that's all you got? Because that's what happened on a night to night basis. I'm like, whoa, you know. And it, it, one of the things, and that's that's to me very recognizable in the blues. It's the it's the it's the concept of bad intentions. And and great musicians play with bad intentions. And great musicians summon those demons in, like you say, a very truncated way in, in, in where they're not going to be arrested after the demons right. are, are, are out there. Right, you know, right. how did you get into heavy music? Um, well, I grew up in a very conservative household. Both of my parents are uh, music teachers. So my father is a cello teacher. My mother is a violin teacher. Obviously, as you can see from the way I look, I'm, well, I'm Chinese, I'm Asian. My, both my parents, if you combine the music teachers, conservative and Chinese, it was a lot, right? Um, and so I wasn't allowed to listen to any other type of music except for classical. Um, and I think children who are raised in extremely um, environments, you know, where it's very controlled, you either, it's one extreme or the other. Uh, and I think I was born with a bit of a rebellious streak, maybe. Um, so of course, I became obsessed with anything that was not demonic, but anything that was dark or strange or weird. And so the very first album that I ever heard that changed my, blew my mind, changed my entire existence, right, was Marilyn Manson's Antichrist Superstar, because I, I remember I was in seventh grade, and it was a very, we lived in San Diego uh, in an area that was very suburban, very conservative. Uh, so there, even the kids at school, it wasn't really, not, not a lot of uh, variation in the species of children at this middle school. But there was one kid and his name was Luke and he wore black lipstick. He had like long hair. I mean, he wasn't like attractive, but he was kind of, kind of like a nerd. So he was like a goth nerd combination. He had right. these really thick Coke bottle glasses, but he was just strange, right? And he didn't really care what anybody thought. He was always hanging out by himself. And I immediately was like fascinated. I'm like, who's this person that's so strange and doesn't care what anybody else thinks? So we we were hanging out, and I remember one day he's like, like like it was some kind of like you know illegal thing. He's like, hey, have you ever heard of Marilyn Manson? And I said, no, who's she? You know, because Marilyn. <laughs> and he said, you got to listen to this. So. I had an old boombox that we bought from the next door neighbor's garage sale because it was like kind of broken. So like this one speaker kind of didn't work. Um, and I put it into my boombox right in my bedroom. I turned the volume. I remember all the way down to one because if my parents heard me listening to like, well, anything but classical music, they would right. like murder me basically. So I like put my ear up to the speaker and oh my gosh, I was like, what? is this yeah it, it's so i i think for me i'm I, i'm very attracted to things that are very tribal heavy guttural you know passionate and and that music is uh i mean it's not really metal i mean it, it's more industrial but it's right. heavy there's like so much just emotion in it that i and then i um yeah so i started really being into that but i couldn't i didn't have a lot of exposure so it really wasn't until i got to college and i was allowed on the internet well the internet was invented when i when i was younger i'm not that old but i'm 35 uh but I, my parents also didn't allow me on the internet so i couldn't really you know explore and i got uh thankfully i got a scholarship to usc for classical cello performance and that's when youtube you know the first years of youtube and so i just started obsessively actually watching guitar videos because i there wasn't i mean there was apocalyptica but they're not so many people doing that type of music on the cello. So I'm right. like, okay, how do I make my, I basically wanted to be a guitar player. You know, I'm like, how do I make myself not, not really sound like that, but kind of capture that type of energy. And like, you know, like I, I remember I've had these like, you know, crazy delusions of grandeur, like, oh my God, I'm going to play this like electric thing on stage. And I'm going to be able to be like a, like a rock guitar player. And I guess in one way it did manifest eventually, you know, but I was obsessed, you know, so that's, um, I don't, does that answer the question? Yeah. It was why you there? Well, you know, the other thing is like, you know, one of the things about when you're, when you come up with a very strict discipline, mm -hmm. the first taste of something that is completely banned, <laughs> admonished, looked down mm -hmm. 
on. Yeah. And dangerous. Yes, dangerous. That's what it it's is. It's like a moth to a flame. <laughs> yes. If you make something dangerous to a kid, it's like, <laughs> all right, I'm in. I remember hearing um, System of a Down for the first time. Now, I, my parents didn't care what I played. They, they actually encouraged me to not play and, and, and get a real job. If they, you know, and still offer to pay for college at 43 years old. You know, we still have <laughs> college education. And, and when I first heard System of a Down, I didn't know what I was listening to. I just knew it was hyperspeed and it sounded crazy to me. And then I started listening to it and then I just started laughing. And it was so, it was such a, a mind opening experience because, because I was like, oh, wait a minute, the, a guitar can do this as well as play Muddy Waters. And I was like, and then I, it, I, it branched out. You went to the Thornton School of Music at uh, USC. Yes. How strict were they about the, the, the classical cello discipline? Because when, when I'm in New York City, I walk past Juilliard all the time and on an occasion you'll, you'll hear you know kids like practicing on you know and and, and it's just to, to, to me I almost I, I envy them and I almost feel sorry for them because it's really it's it's black dots at a certain tempo step repeat step repeat criticize and then right. recite how 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 is that for you um you know like so, so I just finished uh, reading Outliers, you know, and and it has a lot to do with this. But growing up, I was forced to practice, not by choice, forced, locked in my room two hours at a time, let out for five minutes to go to the bathroom, drink water, like that extreme of a training boot camp. Um, so eight hours a day from from when I started. So by the time I got to college, that was already in my psyche. I'm sure that has a lot to do with why I'm like half robot because I was just raised like that. Um, so it, even in college, I think I practiced at the minimum six hours a day. So I still did that. In a, for classical music because it was just part of my identity. I'm like, this is all I know how to do. I don't even know how to ride a bicycle. Like I literally didn't have any exposure to anything. It was food and cello. Um, so I practiced a lot and I have to say that I feel like out of all of my professors or teachers, there were maybe two that were very supportive when they recognized that there's a bit something a bit odd, something a bit off about this one, uh, me. Um, and my, my cello professor, she was this amazing older German lady. So when I started studying with her, she was already 85, but she was fabulous. She still wore heels. I mean, I can, I can barely wear heels and she's 85 carrying a cello, wearing a skirt and heels, uh, a longer skirt, respectable length. Right. Um, and she, she was so wonderful because I, I told her, you know, I want to experiment with like heavier types of music and she didn't quite understand. She didn't know what anything else was. So she kept calling me playing metal jazz. And she, she always said, Oh dearie, show me some of your jazz music. And I'm like, it's not jazz. <laughs> um, but she, she was very open about it as long as I also did my classical stuff. So at that time um, I did start touring a little bit with like, not never like A-level orchestras. I never got to that point, but you know, with orchestras, I was, I was leaving school for sometimes two or three weeks at a time, um, doing these tours, playing purely classical music, um, which is actually why I ended up dropping out because I couldn't maintain, you know, both. Uh, so I was in school for two and a half years, uh, doing classical music, but I did have a lot of teachers who really hated my guts, you know, because I, I remember there was one, um, one class, Baroque cello, I totally get that. Like people have very, I think in classical music, they have very specific ideas, some people, of how things should be played. You have to play it this way. But to me, it's always been like, okay, that's great. First of all, there were no recording devices back in Vox era. So how on earth do you know that it was supposed to be played like that? Right. right? But of course, you can't say that directly or you'll get slapped across the face or kicked mm -hmm. out of school. Um, uh, a lot of violence is <laughs> happening in the classical world. I never would have thought. Okay, I might be dramatizing a little bit. Actually, yeah, there, there was one uh, violin professor at uh, Colburn School who shall not be named, who was known for having an extra violin and a bow that was made out of some kind of metal material just so he could whack his students and not harm his uh, his own violin. So anyway, that's, that's a, you know, talk for another day. Um, no, but I, I remember I got a D in that class because I didn't even play it that crazy. I just chose to do it my own way. Uh, I tend to be a little melodramatic in my style. I just can't help it. It comes out. Right. And so she hated the way that I played it and she gave me a D. Um, but, you know, I, I, I really think um, everybody's different. You know, there are some musicians who go to classical music school who love that type of structure and, and they 
you know, it works for them. For me, um, like something like playing in an orchestra, again, I, I love orchestral music, obviously, there's nothing wrong with it. But for me, like my parents, their dream was for me to join an orchestra and like be one of the cellists in the orchestra section, because that's like kind of like a safe office job for musicians, because you have yeah. a, you know, 401k and, and to and not to be, you got oh, dental. sorry, you get dental, <laughs> a dental, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and for me, I'm, again, I don't mean to be melodramatic or whatever, but I, that is like suicide. You know, that's, that's, what's the point of your life? If everything you do, you're being told what to do, told how to play. You're just like every, you know, you play, I, 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 I get shivers just thinking about it, you know? So, um, so yeah, that was my school experience with music. One of the things about, um, you know, performers Mm -hmm. and, and, there's guitar players and cellists and singers and, you know, and it's easy to fall into the rest of the group. And then there's the people that rise above it and become soloists, front people, you know, front people and, and, you know, whatever. The common denominator to all that is there's that, there's that fire in the belly and the chip on the shoulder. Yes. (laughs) You see it in all types of, performance it's it's like who who becomes character actors very talented character who becomes lead actors who who becomes second chair cello who's 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 a featured soloist and there's always a difference in the in the delivery it's the way that 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 even if you mute the orchestra if you mute mm-hmm. everything it's you're you're capture, capturing the visual and the emotion and that that kind of emotion and and passion for what you do is is contagious and 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 it it, it becomes like oh I, I don't know what's going on over there but I'm watch I, I cannot take my eyes off of Tina Go because she is ripping into this cello it may not be within the 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 rule book but mm-hmm. it's entertaining and it gets back down to that when did you know in your life as a, as, a, as a musician, when you were touring with some orchestras in college, when did you know you had that to where you could enthrall and encapsulate an audience just by pulling the cello out and, and ripping into it? Um, well, first of all, thank you. That is extremely complimentary. <laughs> um, that will carry me through the day and through all my Nespresso's I'm going to drink after this. Uh, okay. I, I have to say that playing classical music even when I was, you know, doing some solo stuff, I never felt like I had become myself. Like I, it, like during that time, I was, I have to say, I mean, still to this day, I get nervous playing classical music because I feel like the audience like might judge you, you know, if you play one wrong note or something that's not, you know, so I, I have that nervousness. But when I play uh, not necessarily electric cello, but just any music outside of the classical genre where you are free because it's you're doing whatever it is that you want or something you've written. I mean, nobody can tell you what to do if you wrote the piece, right? right. Um, I think it took me it took me quite a while. So I started experimenting with the electric cello and alternative styles of playing when I was 19. Um, and I feel like it took me at least three solid years of daily, like trying to figure out what the fuck I'm doing um, right. to get to the point where I felt actually comfortable with the instrument. Um, and... I don't know, like some, I, I try to think about like where, you know, where was the turning point or how did things manifest? And I think one big turning point for me um, that you can actually quantify, you know, that I can like show as an example um, was when I released the Queen Bee music video. It's a heavy metal, you know, video. And actually it is Flight of the Bumblebee, but like a kind of a metal version. And at that point, I was actually, I was at a low point. I was living in, uh, in Sun Valley, uh, which is like a little bit north in, you know, in LA, uh, not a great area. Uh, I found this, it was a garage, half a garage. The landlord had his car parked in the other half because I couldn't afford anything else. It was like 400 bucks a month, including utilities. That was a big one. Um, no, and so I was- Gasoline to wake up to, right? It's, it's what? <laughs> yeah, it was like great. smell of gasoline. Yeah, like the wall separating me from the car was like a, like a plastic partition. It was terrible. It was it was wonderfully terrible. Um, and so, you know, I lived there and I was really struggling to try to make enough money to like pay off some of the, you know, uh, I had a full scholarship for school, but it didn't cover living expenses, uh, books, you know, my instruments, my God, which can be super expensive. So I was like struggling to try to pay everything and doing these little like one-off gigs for like, I remember like 50 bucks, I think on the strip, I would play with anybody on Craigslist who needed a cello player, cello whore available. Right. Um, so, <laughs> um, 
So I was really struggling and I, I was struggling for like a couple of years. I mean, this wasn't because I, I had left school because I was doing the classical stuff, but the classical stuff doesn't pay very much. And it, it also, I mean, it requires so many hours of practice. I remember I was, I learned the Shostakovich cello concerto when I was living in that garage and I practiced that for 10 hours a day because I never played it before, like for six months leading up to, so it was, yeah, it was a, you know, not to be like boohoo, woe is me, but it was a, it was a pretty shitty time. Um, and, and my parents told me, they're like, you know, we told you you're, you're, you're throwing your whole life away. Uh, there's an opening in the San Diego symphony for a section cellist. And the salary was like $45,000 a year, which to me at the time was an astronomical amount of money. I'm like, Oh my God, like 45,000. Like I can not have to buy food in the clearance aisle of uh, Ralph's, you know, anymore. So, um, so I told myself, all right, like maybe I have to like deal with reality and just go in that direction. But I have to have my last hurrah because I don't feel like I've actually shown what it is that I'm like, that I'm imagining in my head. Um, and I did actually, it's funny what you said about, you know, walking down the street and telling people you're a blues guitar player. I feel like some people would ask me like, what is it that you do? Or like what? And I'm like, oh, like I want to play, you know, metal cello. I want to, and then you, I kind of got this like, oh, that's cute or that's nice or okay, sure. But people don't understand because it's not real until you make it real. And I realized that was my issue. I never actually managed to find a way to fucking make it happen to like give you like a, a video or something to demonstrate what it is that I wanted to do. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to like uh, give up on my dreams, right, and, and go work in an orchestra, no offense, oh my God, to any orchestra players who might be watching this, it's, orchestras are great, um, just not for me. I said, okay, I, I saved like, I think it was like about $2,000 in my entire life savings, right? Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna find a way to make a music video that is exactly what I want to do artistically. And maybe when, when I'm old and I can show my grandkids, be like, hey, look at grandma, <laughs> when she was 20 something. And that was really all I intended for. Cause I had, I don't wanna say give it up cause it sounds so dramatic, but it just wasn't, you know, I just couldn't see how I could have like a, a, a nice life and own a home or whatever, like living like that. So um, it took me about six months to get all the production stuff together. Cause you know, we don't have money. You have to try to do everything. So many friends and like really like helped out and like were able to pull favors. We got the location for free. It was the coffin. Have you heard coffin case? The, uh, you know, they make the coffin shaped guitar cases. Johnny was so kind that he's like, Oh, you can shoot in our factory. I mean, there's a bunch of cases, but if you could just, you know, so it was shot in the factory for free. Um, and anyway, I, I made this video and in the back of my mind, I did things like, Oh, like maybe if I put the video out on this new thing called YouTube, like maybe like Metallica or Ronstein or Marilyn Manson or like maybe or Eve Momstein or whoever I was like watching after that, maybe somebody will see it and like they'll whisk me away on tour and then I can play like, you know, cello and I won't have to join the orchestra. Right, so right. that's what I was thinking. And I, I really I had done some recording stuff for like soundtrack music, which I'm heavily involved in now, but it wasn't really my focus because I just wanted to you know, I wanted to tour and perform and, and play heavy music or whatever. So um, I put the video out. I remember I didn't have like money for rent or food the next month because I, I literally spent like everything that I had. Right. And um, one week after the video came out, uh, Hans Zimmer called me. John mm -hmm. Deb Debney, who's like a, also a very well-known composer, uh, Jungle Books, um, like Passion of the Christ and some of these other big, big films. And when Hans called, like when his assistant called me, I didn't even know who he was. Cause I just wasn't, I wasn't trying to be, I just didn't even think about that of like, Oh, I should work in soundtracks. Um, and so somehow I just did a complete like, you know, over to this side. But the funny thing is, I feel like when you really focus passionately, like your energy on something, perhaps the things that manifest aren't quite exactly what you imagine, but it's still, you know, cause I was able to play some, very heavy in my metal style cello on these soundtracks. Um, and, and now, you know, what, 11, almost 12 years later, like, for example, something like the Wonder Woman main theme that I did with Hans, like to me that, I mean, that's pretty heavy, that's metal. And I said, oh my God, like it's, it's, I'm, I'm grateful every single day because it, I mean, that video, I put everything into it. It was my last like, bye world. <laughs> um, and it actually eventually like turned into a lot of different random things, you know? I think every successful musician has a moment in their lives where they bet it all on themselves. Mm -hmm. because you don't bet on yourselves. How are you going to get somebody else to bet on you? And, right. and we had our moment in 2009, same thing, Just put the video out there. Right. Didn't realize that PBS was going to pick it up. All of a sudden, you know, it goes boom. And you don't know why, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I never thought I would be the PBS blues guy. <laughs> I'm not arguing with that. You know, I, I'm not, I'll take it. You know, and, you know, you do a lot of stuff with the, the, the video game industry, the soundtrack industry. Yeah. Here's a little fun fact for the kids out there. And I, and I learned this at Abbey Road when I was doing my record last year. And, and I learned it for some, some score, you know, folks and some orchestra guys because there's a shared commissary in the basement. And they said, you know, Joe, the video game industry is larger than the TV, music, and film industry combined. I'm like, excuse me? Because, like, if you took it all, put together the video game industry, that's why you can't get an orchestra room now. That's why, because they're constantly scoring games. And the fact that you can pivot and but still, but still follow your passion is, is, a, is a testament to, to and, and great advice to, to all young musicians who just want to go out there and play. It may not be what you envisioned to begin with, but you end up getting there anyway. Yes, exactly. And, and yeah, video game music and all other soundtrack music for me also, it's, it is exciting and fun because every soundtrack is completely different. Right. And like, I need a lot of, I get bored easily. So I like all of that different stimulation and learning different types of music. Um, Yeah. It's amazing. And uh, video games. I mean, that's a whole other thing. I mean, I did a whole cover of like video game covers and something I do love about soundtrack music in general is that there are no boundaries. Like I'm not into the whole, this genre of music or that. I mean, it's all just music. Right. So, and I love the fact that you can find everything even types of music where you're like what on earth is that there is no genre for that but it's all okay as long as it serves the picture um so i do like the fact that it's extremely open-minded i think as far as just you know types of music involved well yeah and and you're musically adventurous because and, and i use i use no other point to make other than this one i could imagine when when kevin shirley called you up and said hey there's this blues guitar player doing an acoustic tour right you want to play you're like what no. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> no. You know, and could you have ever imagined your career at that point in time that the same person responsible, you know, for, for, for a gig at Carnegie Hall is now responsible for inviting you on a show called Live from Nerdville? I mean, these are keep a career, there's one career high, one career low, you know? I mean, can you imagine that? Like, oh, man, it's, it's just mind blowing. It's incredible. <laughs> is music the universal language? Uh, I think there's other universal languages, but yes, music is one of the most powerful one. Mm-hmm. Food it, would be another one. I love to eat. Sorry, I just keep thinking about food. See, this is a good, a good, <laughs> this, is a good this is a good pivot. Um, you're very active as far as um, health and fitness. And, and somebody who, somebody who, like, I've always struggled with weight and, and things and try to keep it down. And there's, a, the, you know, one of the things that throughout a pandemic that, that the, the discussion has never really pivoted to is health and fitness. Because, yeah, there's no, there's no pill that's going to substitute for bad choices in diet. And your dogs are named Pizza and Bagel. Yes. Which tells me that you like carbs. I so love carbs. Tell the folks, like, like, how do you maintain that balance? you know, with, with, with diet, but then also going, Hey, listen, I'm human being. I, I, you know, you know, I I like dominoes, you know, or I, or I like, you know, you know, send me a deep dish pizza once in a while. (laughs) How do you, how do you maintain that balance? Cause it's it's very valuable information for people. You know, I, I'm, uh, again, it's something I'm working on, but I tend to be a bit of an extremist, you know, like I mentioned earlier, anything, anyone, any, whatever I'm into, I take it to the extreme and I tell myself I shouldn't, but I can't help it. So for me, it's more of like extremes and moderation, which is a complete, you know, dichotomy. Um, So last year I started off the pandemic when everything stopped and I'm like, oh my God, and now I have all this time at home. I'm going to really get in shape. I'm going to work out. And I did it for a little bit for like a few months. Um, And then I went through some personal things, the relationship I was in completely obliterated, but it's okay. I'm I'm happier now. So it's okay. Um, So I went through that. I had, had a health situation back in December. So it was only a few months ago where I had some precancerous cells in my cervix. So I had, I had surgery, I had that taken out, everything's okay now. Um, and I, it was after that, cause there was a, a, a moment or a day when I thought, Oh my God, like, what if it does turn into cancer? What if I die? I'm 35 years old. I spent my entire life. And this has to do with what we were talking about with the, um, touring. I'm like, I spent my entire life working, touring, 
obsessively focused on my career and building my net worth and, and trying to like, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. It's not that I didn't enjoy it, but I'm like, but what about me? Who am I without, if I take all that stuff away, who am I as a person, you know? And so I don't know, I just had this whole thing and I had also gained a lot of weight, you know, during that time. Cause I felt sorry for myself. And also I wasn't supposed to like be exercising for a while. So I was, I mean, you say the dip, uh, deep dish pizza. I can, I always eat, when I eat Domino's, I eat at least one entire um, pan pizza. It's like medium, but it's pretty thick. Yeah. It's like 3000 calories. Sometimes I can eat two. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot. And I, I have like a weird, like I, you know, the feeling when you get like so full that you can barely move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that feeling. And I know that's terrible. Like it's not, you're not supposed to like it. But like when I get so like full, I'm like, oh, I feel terrible. I love this. You know? so, <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> yes. Um, so I uh, on January, I told myself, all right, I'm going to let myself just be a disgusting pig until December 31st. Right. But then on 2021 is a new year. It's going to be the new year. I'm going to really um, I want to reach self-actualization. I want to become the best version of myself I can possibly be. I'm 35. It's the new 25, whatever. Okay. So I started this uh, uh, blog, Pilates, which is a, uh, she is an amazing uh, Pilates instructor and fit, it's not just Pilates, but it was, I started with that, um, that I follow and I followed her for years, but I never really followed her calendar like methodically. So mm-hmm. she had a 21 day challenge um, on like, you know, who can make the biggest transformation in 21 days. So I thought, ah, okay, I need again, structure. I need someone to like give me an exact schedule. Right. So, you know, I, I followed it. I lost um, a good amount of weight, but I think it's not even about the weight. I think it's just feeling stronger. Uh, I was one of the winners of the, of the contest. So that was really exciting. I got a free yoga mat and everything. So Listen, <laughs> like, it's worth it. We're, we're 21 days <laughs> the path alone. Come on. Yeah. And then, and then after that, I've just kind of continued. So I, I subscribed to her, you know, her app, um, there it's a lot more intense. Cause back then it was only 21 minutes a day. That was the thing. Like you only have to work out 21 minutes a day. Now it's like an hour a day. Um, but I think, you know, just, I, I just tell myself I have to do it. It's not something you think about. It's like practice. I don't right. feel like practicing a lot of the times so you just have to do it too bad, Tina, you, you have to work out. Um, and I do feel great afterwards. And as far as the food, I am tracking all my calories with like uh, my fitness pal, uh, on occasion, like yesterday, I didn't track, but I only ate. Well, okay, no, I did eat pretty late. Never mind. Erase that. Okay, yesterday was a bad day, but today, um, you know, I track my calories and I also try to do intermittent fasting, which is like, you know, I, I will eat in an eight hour period throughout the day. So 16, eight. Um, so, yeah, and so far, that's it seems to be working. I think just focusing for me on how good I feel when I do feel a little bit stronger. It's not about being skinny or whatever, but I want to be, you know, stronger without looking like the Hulk that's not attractive for a woman um so yeah that's my uh that's my thing and then on occasion i'll allow myself to binge because i love to binge eat right which is well, not good uh, you know that's you know i have a i have a, a cheat day once a month and it's fried once, fry it I don't only care. once a month that's once wow month. that's intense whoa fry microphone. Okay. put it in a deep fryer i'm in fry the utensils the plates i'm taking it off one of the things about dieting and is is counting calories so very those nutrition labels on the back of food are there for a reason and there's sometimes like you know people go like i don't understand like why i'm not losing weight all i had today was i had a cob salad and 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 you know a a turkey sandwich like well you were better off with a burger and fries than the cob the cob i was gonna say the cob salad is gonna kill you no and you're going but i'm eating salads it's how it's what you it's it's the amount of calories in things, and I learned this by reading those books. Eat this, not that. You know the restaurant guides, and and now it's all digital, and you can put it in your phone where you just you know like I had a chicken breast and some asparagus. Okay, well there's six hundred you know six hundred calories, but it's but it's a it's a lifestyle commitment, you know, and it's balance because you know there's some people that are just not they want to get a quick diet. 30 days, 30 pounds in 30 days. Like the, the ones that do like, and I'm not, I'm not putting them down. Like, like, like the Atkins and, and, um, keto. I know some people have done the keto diet and they literally put butter in their coffee. I said, that is not sustainable for the rest of your life. Do you see yourself at 65 putting butter in your coffee and having a 40 ounce tomahawk steak, you know, to maintain your weight, you're going to kill yourself in a different way. If you don't do it, it's right. just about balance of, of, of 
your caloric in, in, intake and the, the 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 foods that you do eat. You know, it's it's exactly. it's a very it's it's tough. Not a lot of people are naturally skinny. I'm jealous of them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I mean, just like you said, something that's maintainable because every fad diet you can think of, including what you just talked about with the butter and the giant steaks, I've tried them all. It's mm -hmm. not, I mean, I, I loved it. I mean, I loved it. It tasted great, but it's not sustainable. Plus, I don't think it's really healthy, you know, to be eating so much red meat, which I also like. But um, now, like, I don't restrict anything from my diet. I eat everything, but just in a smaller amount. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, and then if you control the hours from, like, I mean, it's not even that bad. Like if you eat between what, 12 and eight, like that's still yeah. most of the day, you know? So, um, yeah, so far it's been good. And I'm, I'm actually very, very motivated to continue that and to keep that going. Cause I, I do feel better, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically. So it's, it's good. All right. Here comes the geek questions. Um, <laughs> okay. okay. Before we wrap up here. Tell me about the Tina Guo model signature Yamaha. Is that is that is that one of them behind you? Oh no, actually, that is not a signature cello Yamaha. You should be making a signature cello for me. No, I'm kidding. Um, no. <laughs> cello. Um, I do. Well, I actually have my own line of instruments. So that's um, it's under Tina Guo strings. So we right. have the models 300 and the 600. They're acoustic cellos uh, in bows in carbon fiber and wood uh, and in a variety of rainbow colored uh, horsehair. So you can actually dye the horsehair uh, and it's available for all string instruments. So I have that pickups, all kinds of random stuff. For my electric cello, I do play on a Yamaha electric cello, but this is pretty much their, it's their standard cello, just painted uh, pearl white. And I have, I think this is my fourth one uh, for, I kind of tend to break cellos a lot when I'm touring, uh, mm. a little too aggressive. They're like, can you just play like le with less aggression? I'm like, no, I can't. Right. I'm like, how destroying. Break, are you breaking the necks off or how? how no, how, how I, apparently, apparently I'm like hitting, I think I'm hitting it too hard when I play. Uh, and then it's like breaking the uh, internal components, like all the little computer. I mean, hey, you know. You gotta make, it happens. Make them tough for touring, you know. <laughs> I tell people like, you know, we, you know, like if somebody brings me an amp that they built, the boutique or whatever, and then I, I, I always turn it up almost all the way. Right. Oh, like it. Oh, I, I, well, that's a little extreme. I go, well, then don't put ten on the amp if it, if, if I can't turn it up to ten. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think. Oh, one other time, um, I. You know, it has like a, oh, for people who don't know, the electric cello, I play standing. Uh, and there's a long end pin. It's like a metal end pin with a very sharp tip. I mean, you could, you technically could kill somebody with it. So sometimes, you know, I do my little, I'm like walking around on stage and I go, I was feeling extremely viscerally uh, aggressive that night, right? So I just went, oh, like so hard that the, the end pin <laughs> impaled the cello itself, basically. And it just like, I think it damaged the, so that was another, I don't know, just, you know, impaling itself, hitting it too hard. Um, but it's, I don't want to blame, it's not the quality of the instrument. I think I just might, you know, might be a little out of control. So it's my fault. Listen, you know, I think, I think it's great. You know, some battle scars, how important, you know, you know, you're one of the greatest musicians I know, a friend, and also an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And just as we wrap up, tell, tell anybody, a 20 year old Tina Guo, what you've learned about being a businesswoman um in the in the last 15 years since right. you know right. since you started basically your own brand yes i would say um take the time to invest in yourself through education i think knowledge is like the most important thing because you spent so many years your entire life training on you know in music on your instrument but if you can't because again the music business there's the word business in it so it's one thing to be a musician for fun in your in your basement or whatever which is great you know great 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 but if you actually want to make a living out of it and turn it into a viable career hopefully a fiscally you know lovely one um then you have to understand some of these things and and sometimes i talk to people uh because i you know i used to do these like consultation sessions for musicians and other creatives and some of them say oh i just don't understand it i said listen if you can figure out how to read like music notes and learn how to like literally saw wood with like metal on it you can understand basic business concepts you know so just to take the time you know read the books read articles everything's free now you know on youtube you just watch these and uh, i i learn 
by trial and error, I was uh, fucked over many times, you know, which, but it's good because they were all learning experiences. Um, and then just to, just to practice it. Cause you'll never become comfortable negotiating your own deals or, or talking to people directly in a nice, but you know, firm way about things if you don't practice it. So if it feels terrible and embarrassing, like you still have to get through the initial awkward phase of, you know, every type of relationship or growth, um, mm -hmm. to get to the comfortable place. Have you ever used an assumed name to represent yourself? I thought about that, but no, I even thought I, I was like practicing like different voices, like, oh, like what kind of voice? <laughs> I'm terrible with like other voices. So no, I mean, I think some people think, think it's like odd or surprising. Like even when I signed to Sony to my label, they're like, you know, who do we talk? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just me. It's just me. They're like, you don't have anyone representing you. And I've tried, I've, I've tried it with a few different managers, nothing against them maybe I just haven't met the right match yet, you know, or the right, you know, the right person or whatnot. But so far, I think also it's because what I do is so weird or, or just random. And it's not like there's so many other, I don't know, you know what I'm trying to say? It's like difficult to really see eye to eye on things. And you have your things so tight and, and focused that you don't need somebody riding up on a white horse, taking a percentage <laughs> of, of, of your sweat equity over the last 15, 20 years. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's like, what, what can you bring to the table other than taking a phone call on my behalf, which I'm happy to take and discuss intelligently, you know, it's a, yes. it's a tough, it's a tough match because, you know, it, it's somebody who comes in to manage you in theory has to be able to move the needle in a way that you can't on your own. And, and exactly. It, it's like, they're going to call the same people, you know, you know, they're going yeah, yeah. to your Rolodex. Is that still a thing? I'm old. Your <laughs> phone. They're gonna raise your phone, and then yeah. steal your contacts. It's, I've seen it happen a million times, you know. And it's it's uh, but you know, I mean, you know, I have the utmost respect for you, and and selfishly, I miss you. I haven't seen you in a while, and we've just you know five years. Five years. But yeah. uh, thank you very much. You're an inspiration to a lot of oh, young you. people and and a lot of people outside of your world. Because, you know, it, it, it's a very, really cool thing you've created in your own world. And, and lucky are the few that are focused enough, dedicated enough, and are able to do it and pull it off. So my hat, in theory. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Tina Guo from Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Joe Bonamassa right here on Live from Nerdville.